All right, well, good morning, church. All right, so we're continuing through chapter 24 on Genesis. Genesis chapter 24 is the halfway point of the book, and we are halfway through the halfway point of chapter 24. I told you last week that I was going to leave you right in the middle of the chapter, and I did. Last week was a marriage made in heaven, as we went over the first 27 verses uh, of chapter 24. And I don't really need to recap for you uh, what we went over last week. And the reason I don't need to really recap it is uh, the servant here in the chapter, Eleazar, Abraham's servant, is going to recap everything that happened in the first half of the chapter uh, in the second half of the chapter. So I don't need to recap it for you. He's going to recap it for you, right? So, but I will remind you that, that God uses marriage to illustrate our relationship with Christ. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. And what we see in this chapter overall in chapter 24, what it illustrates or what it shows us is that through this search for a bride for Isaac uh, by his father Abraham, through the sending of his servant, Eleazar, uh, the picture that we see is a picture of God the Father Right through the sending of his Holy Spirit, bringing forth to him a bride for his son, Isaac. That's what this is, uh, illustrates for us. Um, that's what it shows us here in this chapter. So let's read. We're going to be starting in verse 28 of chapter 24. I'm actually going to back up just a little bit for context. Um, I think I'll back up to... Uh, 23. So this is the servant speaking, and he's speaking to Rebecca. He says, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and he worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Verse 28. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And then a food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. So he said, speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. 
But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from the, my clan and from my father's house. And then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. And I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Verse 45. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, Behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I also will give your camels drink. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. And then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. And when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I might go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and they said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah, and they said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, and then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words, and I pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit just speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you just bind these words to our heart, and let us see the truth in them. Let us see the hope that's found in them, the hope that we have in Jesus. We just pray, Lord, that you be with all those who aren't here today and bless all those who are. We thank you for this day and we put it in your hands. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So when the servant arrived at the well, as we went over last week, he prayed to God and he said, listen, I want a sign. I don't don't want to choose a bride for Isaac. I want you to choose a bride for Isaac. And the servant wanted to know, right, that this would be done by God. I mean, he didn't know what he was walking into. He didn't know how many women would be there. He didn't know, you know, anybody or what the situation was going to be like. But he wanted God to choose a bride for Isaac, and the servant wanted to know that God had done it. So he says, this is the sign that I want. When the woman comes out to the well, and I ask the woman for a drink, her reply is going to be, yes, here's a drink. And while you're drinking, let me water your camels as well. Right? That's the sign that he wanted. And of course, Rebecca, before he even finishes praying this, Rebecca, first woman out. Right? And we said last week that often women drug their feet when it came to go do the evening's work of going to get the water. It was a laborious task. It wasn't easy. When it says here, when you read it, that when it says here, when you read it, that um, when, when he's recounting what happened, he talks about the fact that Rebecca went down into the well. That means she probably had to climb down into the well to get the water. It wasn't just like you go, you know, pull up the bucket and put it in the thing and something like that. She, it, it was probably a natural well. She had to climb down a ladder more than likely to go down into the well. So she had to go climb on down, fill the jar of water, climb on out, and, and keep doing that over and over again. And so she kind of showed how industrious she was in the sense that she's like the first woman out. Like, I'm going to go get my chores done. I'm going to go get them finished. So she's the first woman out to get water, right? Just like that. And, and probably he's thinking, okay, let's try it out. But, all right, God? Yeah, I, I put my prayer out there. And so he asks her for a drink. And she says yes. And she gives him a drink. And then she says, well, let me water your camels. Now remember, he had 10 camels. I don't know how long it took. But she had to go down and get the water and come back up and feed the camel, go down and get the water, come back. It, it took easily an hour, if not two hours, to go feed all these camels. And he just sat there, it says. If you look back in verse 21, it says that he just gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Right? He just waits. He's waiting upon the Lord. He's just sitting there. He's like, can it be? Has the Lord answered my prayer already? Is this the woman? I mean, she said exactly what I wanted her to uh, ask. Have you answered my prayer already? So he was waiting to see what the Lord was doing. Are you up to something here, God? Right? What work are you doing right now? Am I watching your hands at work here? What doors are you opening? I mean, he didn't want to get ahead of the Lord and make the wrong assumption. Oh, it must be the woman. Yeah, okay. Quick, start throwing jewelry at her and say, okay, you're, you're going to be the bride of, of my master Isaac, right? He didn't want to get ahead of the Lord, make the wrong assumption. Yeah, he didn't want to miss what the Lord was doing either. So, I mean, he knew that the, the mighty hand of God was up to something here. So he sat waiting, yet ready to move, right? Which is a great posture to be in, right? When you, when you are waiting and on the Lord, a great posture to be in is while you're waiting and watching what the Lord is doing, you're also ready to move as soon as you realize that this is exactly what the, the Lord has told you to do, or this is the Lord is opening this door, 
or he is answering your prayer right at that moment, you're ready. You're watching because you don't want to get ahead, but you're ready to move as soon as you realize that this is the Lord's hand at work here. So he waits, however long it takes her to feed all these camels, all right? He waits. And then he asks her that ever important question. Whose daughter are you? Right? I mean, you're a fantastic woman. You come out here and you've given me water and you've fed all my camels and up and down and up and down and up and down. Whose daughter are you? And she tells him, well, I'm the daughter of Bethuel. Bethuel is the son of Nahor. Nahor is Abraham's brother. Right? So, so Bethuel is Abraham's nephew, his first cousin to Isaac. That makes Rebekah Abraham's grandniece or great niece or, or however you want to re- refer to it. And that makes her a second cousin to Isaac. So the servant hit pay dirt. He's like, this is it. Right? Abraham's kinsman. I mean, he knew the family tree. So he's like, Abraham's kinsman. I'm, I'm in the right place. And the Lord has answered my prayer. And the very first person out to the well is exactly who I'm looking for. And she did exactly what I asked the Lord for her to do. And, you know, and he's just like overjoyed. And he immediately worships the Lord right there as soon as she tells him that. Right? And so now she's excited. What? Right? He's given her, he gave her a nose ring. He's given her bracelets. She runs back to tell the family, there's this guy out of the well. You should hear this story. Holy cow, right? And we're going to meet now her family. And the first person, of course, we're going to meet is her brother Laban. But first, though, I want you to know that, because I I didn't go over this last week, but Rebecca's name, uh, what it means, because this plays into the whole story, which we're not even through yet, right? Her name is Rivka in the Hebrew. And it means ensnarer. It means, uh, some translate the name, uh, a tie rope for animals or a noose. And what it means is is that she catches others in traps, which we see play out later. Uh, She entangles others with her beauty. I mean, men are snared or bound by her when they see her. That's, in a sense, how beautiful she was. Uh, This is, like I said, I'm telling you that now because this will play into things later as we continue the story with Rebecca and Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. So she runs into the house, tell her family, and her brother Laban is the first one out. And Laban seems very generous, very inviting, right? He's very excited. But, and and we don't, I mean, later when we, chapter 29, when you fast forward, uh, you know, you get this idea that possibly Laban is also a little greedy and he has ulterior motives about things. We don't really see that here, but we one wonders, verse 30 is the verse you should look at here. If you wonder about Laban's motives, it says, as soon as he saw the ring, the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and he heard the words of his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. So what he saw was the wealth, Right. He saw the rings, he saw the jewelry, he's like, whoa, boom, he's out the door, right? I'm going to go greet him, right? So he's very, so Laban is very generous, very exciting. Come on in, the, the house is prepared, we have a place for your camels, what are you doing staying outside? It's cold out here, man. Come on in, we've got the fire going, we're cooking a meal, come sit with us, come, come, come on, come on, and he's right, and so it's like, come on in. Now, it was customary to leave business until after the meal. Generally, you would eat the meal first, and then you would do business. But Abraham's servant, he says, I'm not having that. Okay? 
He says, I'm not having that. He says, I am not going to eat until I first tell you exactly what happened. I want to testify to you exactly. I want to give this testimony. Right? Tell you exactly what the Lord has done. So he says, right, um, I will not eat. It's in verse 33. I will not eat until I have heard what I, until I have said what I have to say. And they're like, okay, all right. Speak on. Go ahead. Tell us. And he recounts the entire testimony of the entire journey. Everything that happened. You have to understand, this is a miraculous testimony. Okay? It's a miraculous testimony. 500 mile trip from Abraham to Abraham's family here. That's probably at least 40 days. Right? 40 is a good number to pick here. Right? That's probably at least 40 days. Right? To find a bride for Isaac. From Abraham's family, which he didn't know exactly where they were. He just knew the general area. I mean, the odds are like a needle in a haystack. If you really want to think about it, the odds were like a needle in a haystack for him to go on this journey, 500 miles, 40 days, to go find a bride for Isaac. And the odds are against him. And he knew that before he started out, which is why he questions Abraham right at the beginning. Abraham's like, go and do this. Go find a bride from my kinsmen. I'm not going to let him marry some of these pagan girls here in the land of Canaan. Go find a bride for Isaac from my kinsmen. And, he's, and he's, he knew that this was a problematic thing. That's why he asked Abraham, well, um, what if she won't come with me? Right? And Abraham's like, well, angel of the Lord is going with you. And he's going to prosper your journey. So don't worry. An angel of the Lord will go with you and he will prosper your way. Right? Deuteronomy 31. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be feared or dismay. The Lord is going with you. He goes ahead of you. I mean, God will do the impossible if you give him the opportunity to. And so the servant was like, all right, let's go. I'll do it. Right? So he grabs his camels and he grabs the people that went with him because he didn't go by himself. Obviously, the servant had servants that you know, went with him. And they go on this journey. So he recounts the entire thing. And he tells them, then I got here. And then we got to the well. And then I, told, I prayed to the Lord. And this is the prayer that I gave the Lord. And I said, this is how I want things to happen. So I know that this is the woman that I'm looking for. And then, boom, before I'd even finished speaking, Rebecca has come out. And then I ask her this. And she says that. And when she gets me the water. And then she feeds my camels. And then I ask her whose daughter she is. And she tells me your daughter. And I realize, hey, it's my master's kinsman. The Lord has answered my prayer. And he's just, you can imagine hearing this, right? You can imagine hearing this, right? From, imagine hearing this from Rebecca's point of view. What if you're Rebecca and you're listening to this whole story being told to you, right? And you're just like, oh, for me? Right? The Lord's done this to bring me to Isaac? Testimonies are an incredibly powerful thing. And we should be always testifying, right? Good news should always be shared. And the Lord is continuing to do things in your lives. Continuing. He hadn't stopped. He didn't stop when you accepted Christ. That wasn't the last good thing that happened in your life that you have to testify about. 
Often when we give testimonies, we talk about, I used to be, you know, a murderer and a scum, and then the Lord saved me, and, you know. And we have this terrible story we tell. Not everyone's story is like that, but we always try to find the extreme. And then we talk about how the, how the Lord brought us out of that. And we, that's our testimony. That's what we talk about. That's not the end of your testimony. It doesn't end there. Right? It continues from there. You have another testimony. You have an uh, ever-evolving uh, testimony. It's just continuing. And you have myriads of things to testify about, about how great God is. And so good news should always be shared. So continue to share it because we see the power of testimony right here. Right? When, when Eleazar gives this testimony, it changes Rebecca's life. It changes her family's life. Right? They hear this thing and they don't even have an answer for it. They're just like, I mean, no one can really argue against the testimony because it's something that you're personally testifying that happened to you. Right? So he tells this whole story. And within the testimony, you have to understand what he's also doing is proposing. Okay? He's giving the proposal of marriage to Rebecca. And we know this because financial statements are given here within the testimony. Abraham's been blessed by God. Abraham has all these servants. Abraham has gold and silver. And Sarah, in her old age, gave Abraham a son, and now he is the heir of all these things. So he has laid this all out in the testimony. My master is wealthy, and his son is the heir, and he has all this wealth. Right? And this is the proposal we give to you. And they may have already heard about Isaac's, Isaac's you know, miraculous birth already. Because remember at the end of chapter 22, um, they come to Abraham with news of you know, his brother's family and what's going on with his brother's family. So they pass news back and forth. I don't know how long it took for you know, you know, it, you know, a month and a half. You get the update from your family as the, this, the people travel back and forth with the notes. But, but considering that Isaac was 40 years old, you know, here, they probably already knew about Isaac in the sense that they had been told of his birth. They got the birth announcement probably a few days before the servant arrived, right? So, uh, so they had the birth announcement. They heard about the miraculous birth of Isaac that Sarah, you know, gave birth when she's, you know, 90 years old uh, and everything. So they probably heard all about it. But now they're hearing this fantastic testimony about the guidance and the blessing of the Lord. Right. And so he's sharing it to whoever's going to listen. And you want to share before the food because you know how well we listen after we have the eat, right? So he wanted to share it before they ate. So he gives glory to God. He shares the good news. All right. And this is a very vivid picture of the Holy Spirit at work. That's what this is because the servant is like a picture of the Holy Spirit. And this is a very vivid picture of the Holy Spirit at work because what the Spirit testifies to us, the Spirit testifies to the glory of God. Right? The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. Right? It says in Romans chapter 8 and 16 and 17, it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if we are children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Right? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit testifies to that in our lives. So this is a picture of the Spirit. See, the, the servant's not speaking about himself. He's not saying, how great of a man am I? Look at the journey I just made to bring this to you. In my old age, I managed to survive this 40-day journey. Right? You know, he's, he's testifying about his master and his master's wealth 
and his master's riches and his master's son. And he's testifying about how God has done this great thing. God has made his master wealthy. Right? All glory is given to God in everything that the servant says here. Right? So the servant, like the Holy Spirit, told them that the master was great, told them that the master's son was the heir. Let them know that he was looking for one who would leave her old home, her old life, and live a new life with the master's son. Now, also, the servant was not forcing Rebecca to marry Isaac. Right? We, we talked about this last week. It's part of the stipulation. He wasn't to bring Isaac to his kinsman. Isaac was not to leave. Because he's like, well, what if the woman won't come? Well, Isaac's not to leave. Don't take Isaac down there. Right? If she doesn't want to come, you're free from the oath. It's okay. Right? But she has a choice. So he's not forcing Rebecca to marry Isaac. He isn't going to bribe her, even though he's given her gifts, right? Bracelets and nose rings. He's not bribing her to come. He just bears witness to the truth about the glory of God and what this thing, this great thing that God has done. And he lets her make her own decision. Right? I'm not trying to hustle you. That was the truth. Nothing but the truth. So now, now that you've heard this testimony, now that you've heard me speak, now that you know this great story of what has happened to the point of where I am now in your house, sitting around the dinner table, what do you say? Right? He leaves it right there. What do you say? And, and in verse 50, we see their response. They say, well, well, this thing has come from the Lord. I mean, they can't say anything else. There's nothing else they can really say. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. Right? Well, this is obviously, right, the Lord's doing. The Lord has spoken. Follow the Lord. Take her. Go. I mean, they don't have anything else to say. They can't really say anything else. There's a, there's a, but yet, the next morning, when he goes to leave, they haven't really changed their mind, but yet they, they want to delay it a little bit. Well, we didn't really have a problem. I mean, that's kind of quick. We need to have a proper goodbye. You're taking my daughter, right? Understandable. Like, let's, let her wait around 10 days. Let's have a proper send-off. Hang out with us before you go. Right? You, don't need, you don't need to leave now, do you? I mean, I know we said take her and go, but is that right now? Because you know, just wait 10 days. There's a quote by Spurgeon. It's kind of like a conversation that he's kind of talking with a couple, you know, like he's talking to someone. And he says... And the, and the person's replying to him, and he says, well, I'm glad you've spoken to us. We'll think it over. And his reply to him is, no, friend. That's not what I meant. Right? I don't want you to think it over. You've had enough of thinking. I pray that God's Spirit may lead you to an immediate decision. That's really what the servant was looking for, right? An immediate decision. Right? There's another quote by Barnhouse that says, when you decide to go with the Lord, the world will applaud your devotion. They'll say, great job. I'm glad that you know, you're, 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 you're stepping out on your convictions and you're following your dream. And this is great. I applaud you for taking this step. And you know, I hope it works out for you. And, uh, but then they'll say, but don't rush. <laughs> 
You don't need to rush off and do that right now, do you? Right? Just hang out here a few days, maybe 10, you know, week and a half. Hang out here for a week and a half, and, and then you go. You know, the longer you wait, the more likely you are just to stay. Right? That, it's that hesitation of not stepping out and following the Lord immediately when he calls you or when he sends you that can cause so many issues. And the world, in their, you know, well, they're applauding your choice to make this decision. On the one hand, they're patting you on the back going, great, all right, we support you, go ahead. On the other hand, they're going to be like, but do you have to leave right now? There's always going to be that, well, do you have to do it right now? Right? Do you have to step out right now? Come on, hang out with us just a little bit longer. It'll be good for you, right? We'll have that goodbye party. But the servant's response here should be our response in those same type of situations. When, when we're delayed or when someone says, hey, why don't you just hang out a little bit? When you know the Lord has called you or is sending you. You say, no, don't delay me. Don't delay me, Right? And that's the servant's response to them when they're like, well, come on, just hang out for a lot of 10 days. He says, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. The Lord's made this possible. The Lord is moving here. Don't you get in my way. Don't delay me. They're like, well, let Rebecca make up her own mind, right? Rebecca, she comes in. Are you wanting to go right now with this guy? Yes, I am. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> right? Okay. I mean, this is one of the most remarkable things we see about Rebecca's right here at the very beginning when we first meet her, is that her total willingness to leave behind everything, her family, her comfort, everything that she knew up to that point, to leave it all behind to go be with, you know, her bridegroom, a man she had never met, a man that she had never seen. Right, her words, what she says here, which is really simple, right? I will go. Are words for us to live by. They're amazing words. I will go. These are worthy words of faith. First Peter one eight tells us, as though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That was Rebecca's response. She'd never seen or met. She'd never, never even seen a picture of Isaac. There weren't pictures, right? She didn't know didn't have his Facebook page. And, you know, no one had showed her the family photo album. And she was just like, I will go. I will go. She was determined, determined to make her home with her new husband. And she understood that her loyalty should be with her new family. Her new family, which is why it tells us in Matthew 19, 5, for example, in case you were wondering, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh in that description of marriage that it gives us there in Matthew 19, because your loyalty should be with your new family. You have to leave the other family behind in a sense, right? There's a separation that happens. So don't delay. When it's a matter of the Lord, when you're seeing the Lord at work, don't delay, don't delay. The Lord's opened the door for you. Step through it. Don't, don't sit around for 10 days going, I wonder if I should step through that door. Right? He's opened it. Step through it. Right? We should not run ahead of the Lord. That can cause problems as well. But at the same time, 
We should not lag behind once his will is known. We need to keep step with him and with what the Lord is doing. Right? One shouldn't delay in accepting the Lord once the implications of the gospel are known to him. And that's what you can tell people when you're sharing the good news and the gospel with them. They're like, thank you for sharing that with me. I'll think it over. Well, no, you've had enough of thinking. <laughs> I'm hoping the Holy Spirit drives you to a more immediate decision. Don't delay, especially in the days that we're living in now. Don't delay. Don't delay. When you know the gospel and the salvation that's found in Christ Jesus, and you know that's the only answer, and that's where your hope and your joy is found, don't delay. Step through that door. Go. Right? So it says in verse 61, Rebecca and her young woman arose, and they rode on the camels, and they followed the man. And the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Yeah, has anybody ever ridden on a camel? Yes, my kids have. And Noah's are. There's camels at Pier, what's that zoo in Tacoma? Point Defiance. There's camels at the Point Defiance Zoo in Tacoma. We went there and the kids rode. I don't remember if all three, Hudson, did you ride on a camel? Yeah. So all the kids rode on camels. Emily rode on a camel? Yeah, all the kids rode on camels. Uh, Daniel's raising his hand as he sleeps there on the, he's, uh, he has ridden on a camel as well. I haven't ridden on a camel. I'm told they're not all that comfortable. I mean, maybe for just a little circle around the yard, right? <laughs> right. Because they had a big seat on that camel at Point Defiance, and, and I, you know, they could fit two people, right? But can you imagine a 500-mile journey, 40 days on a camel? I mean, it was tough enough driving 24 hours down to California and, you know, in one trip in a car, which is way more comfier than a camel. So I can't imagine that, you know, that was very comfortable. I've never, but I, like I said, I haven't ridden on one, but there is a, a little picture here for us, which is in the sense that we're in our walks with the Lord right now, we're all in a sense riding camels. When what all that means is, you know, because is that it's not a smooth journey, right? You know, but we persevere and we persevere because of the reward at the end which is eternal life with Christ Jesus. Because right? that's where we're walking towards. That's what we're riding towards. Right? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then as she takes this journey and goes with the servant, the servant is there to do what? To guide her and to protect her. Again, picture of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Spirit of truth leads you into truth. He's guiding her back to her bridegroom. Right? So this, and the, the Holy Spirit does the same thing. And then, of course, he's there to protect her as well. And we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right? And the Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it tells us. Right? Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is what we have to protect us. So as we are on our journey towards Christ, we have the Spirit guiding us and protecting us, just as we see here. So in verse 62, we see Isaac. It says he had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev, which is the desert. 
And he went out to meditate in the field towards the evening. And he lifted up his size, eyes. And you can just see this. I'm serious. I mean, if you haven't, I've never watched a movie on Isaac and Rebecca. But right now, this is, this is a storyboard. This is a movie scene, right? He's out meditating in the field. The sun is setting. You have the golden light across the land, right? And he lifts up his eyes and he sees Rebecca coming in from the horizon. And she lifts up her eyes and they catch each other's gaze, right? And music goes off and birds fly in. You can just imagine the whole thing unfolding like some romantic movie. And it says that he looks up and sees her. She looks up and sees him. They catch each other, their eyes across the field. Right? Here comes the bride. Jesus coming to Isaac. And she, immediately, she asks, uh, who's that coming across the field to greet us? He says, that's my master. And she realizes that's who she's going to be married to. So she covers herself, with his, you know, which is a sign of modesty and submission. This is how she wants to meet her bridegroom. And this whole thing plays out. And he takes her, and they become one, and the marriage is consummated, and they live happily ever after, you could say. Right? And it says at the very end, which reiterates the point that I said last week about how God understands that it's not good for man to be alone. It says Isaac was comforted, finally, right after his mother's death. It doesn't say finally, but... Isaac was comforted. That just meant that this entire time since his mother had passed away, Isaac had been grieving for the loss of his mom. And God brought Rebekah to him, not only to be his wife, but to comfort him. Because he knew he needed it. It was not good for man to be alone. And he knew Isaac's heart. So he brings Rebekah to him. And it's this remarkable ending. So in all this that we've gone through for the last couple of weeks, in this coming together of Isaac and Rebecca, right, it's a remarkable picture of, of the coming together of Jesus and the church. Right, Isaac is a type of Christ. We've been over a lot of those. And Rebecca represents the church here. Right? So you have this father who desires a bride for his son, a son who had been accounted as dead because Abraham was to take him up and sacrifice him. But then he was raised from the dead when God himself provided a lamb. Right? You have this servant who is sent forth to get a bride for his son. And it's a really a nameless servant because they never give you the name here in chapter 24 of the servant. We know his name back from chapter 15. But the servant's name, Eleazar, means God is help or God is my help or God's helper. Again, the picture of the Holy Spirit who is known as our helper. And then you have this bride that's you know, divinely met, divinely chosen, and called and lavished with gifts. Right? It tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that, that you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We, we see that in this picture of well. And then, of course, Rebecca is entrusted to the care of the servant, Eliezer, right? until she meets her bridegroom, which is exactly what we are as well. We've been entrusted to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us when Christ ascended. Right? He says, I will send you my helper. Until one time later when we are reunited with Christ. Right? Until we get to meet him face to face. It's also instructive just for marriage. I mean, if you ever have right, an, an opportunity where you have to you know, speak into someone's life who's looking into getting married or, or, you know, someone you know who might be dating, trying to find the perfect partner. Right? You can instruct them in the ways of biblical marriage by reading this chapter to them. Because if you notice that neither Rebecca nor Isaac were dating, right? They weren't out on eHarmony or any of those dating sites. They, they weren't swiping up or swiping left or whatever you do on those apps trying to find the perfect date or anything like that. They were both, in a sense, doing the will of God. They were just doing what God had asked them to do. Right? He was out in the field meditating. He was when they meet him, but he had just been doing God's will. He wasn't searching for a wife. Abraham sent the servant to find the wife for him. Right? And Abraham in this picture is, is God the Father. And the servant's the Holy Spirit. Right? So he wasn't searching for a wife. Right? But God brought them together. Just like God brought Adam and Eve together. Because he brought Eve to Adam. What was Adam doing? He was asleep. Right? And God put him to sleep and, and created Eve out of him. He didn't create 20 women and parade them in front of Adam. And, okay, okay, Adam, which one do you want? Right? I've got the redhead, got the brunette, got all different... You know, make a choice. He didn't do that. He, he created one woman, Eve, and brought her to Adam. And so you can teach a little marriage class if you need to from this chapter. The real simple thing is, is it's seek God. Right? Let your will be to do God's will. Your will is to do God's will. Honor God in everything that you do, in all things. Right? Honor God. Let your lives be a testimony to the greatness of God and share that. Because that's what we see here in this picture. We see the greatness of God and that testimony shared by the servant. If he hadn't had that testimony, if he had just showed up and said, yeah, I'm Abraham's servant and I traveled 500 miles, take you home as a bride, get on the camel, lady, let's go. I'm not sure it would have gone over the same way. right? But what he, what he shared was, is, this is what God has done. This is what God has done. What do you say about it? That's what testimonies do. This is what God has done in my life. What do you say about that? And it gives him a chance to respond. And she responded by saying, let's follow the Lord. I'll go with you. I'll go. Now another thing that we see here is not just that picture of us as Christians, the bride being brought to the bridegroom, with it, which is Jesus. But this is also, just so you know, a picture of the rapture. Okay? Because we see nothing of Isaac 
from the time of his quote-unquote resurrection to the time that he's united with his bride. And what I mean is the last time we see him is when Abraham lays him on the altar in Genesis 22. That's the last time we see him. He's mentioned, but that's the last time we see him, actually. And we don't see him again until the bride and the bridegroom are united here in chapter 24. And that's a picture of the rapture. Because after Christ's resurrection, 40 days after Christ's resurrection, he ascended up into heaven where he is now, right? Fully man, fully God at the right hand of God the Father. And he promised he would return, John 14. He promised he would return. He said, let not your hearts be troubled, right? Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, right? And I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you to myself. So he promised, It's the rapture. That's what it's a picture of. And in Revelation 19, we have this picture as well. We see uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, when we get raptured and we get reunited, as the bride gets reunited with the bridegroom, what are we going to do? Well, it's a marriage supper. Marriage suppers usually lasted seven days or a week. Well, there's a seven-year tribulation that's going to happen on earth during that time. But we're going to be up with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we're going to come back with Jesus in his second coming when he comes with boots on the ground. And that's what John's vision in Revelation 19 shows us, right? For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Right? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's what this vision shows us. The wedding supper of the Lamb, a wedding feast with with Jesus and his bride, the church, us, believers. So now the first part of that marriage was completed, of course, when each believer places their faith in Christ Jesus. And then the dowry had been paid, but you didn't have to pay it. Christ paid it. He paid it on the cross, right? His blood was shed on the bride's behalf. That was the dowry. So the church, the body of Christ, is then betrothed to Christ, and now we wait. We wait for the appearance of the bridegroom. And that's the rapture. That's the second part, when Christ comes to claim his bride and take her to his father's house. What Jesus promised back in John 14, which I read. And then the marriage supper is the, the third part of that. And though we don't see all of that in this chapter, we see the bride and the bridegroom being united coming together. That's a picture of what will happen when we are raptured. And in that is where we find our hope, right? Our blessed hope. Knowing that one day we, the bride, will be united with the bridegroom. We'll be caught up into the air to be with him. Right? 